Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here, and today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Welcome to Epiphany Sunday. Pie day, pies, cakes, chilies, whatever. Maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, I could really go for some apple pie. We got you. Maybe you're like, I could go for some chocolate cake with raspberry filling. Got you too. Maybe French silk pie. Anybody got a... Anybody? Just me? All for me. French silk pie. That's what I'm at church today for, just to be honest. French silk pie. So Epiphany Feast, that, it's not all French silk pie. It's 20% French silk pie is why I'm here today. Uh, so right after the service, we've got our annual... Uh, I guess you could call it potluck, potluck, more or less, uh, where we're celebrating Epiphany together. So you can come right after, and if you didn't bring any chili, you could run to Wendy's and get some chili, I guess. But I know most of you probably already have your chili prepped. We got cakes, and we're going to celebrate together. And I never thought about it until this morning, but uh, think about how long these guys... So Epiphany is when we celebrate the arrival of the wise men and their kind of announcing of Christ's arrival on the scene. And, you know, I like to think of them kind of as wizards. They're in robes in the Middle East, staring up at the sky, and then they travel for months. Like, who does that, right? They're a little esoteric. And so the wizards show up, and I just think about that journey. You know, they, they have a sense of following something. There's something that's drawing them, and they have enough faith to spend months and months uh, walking in the darkness to try to find whatever it is that's calling them. And I thought about this morning. I was like, man, is that not life? Um, is that not how we feel? We're, we're holding on to something that we hope is true. And Epiphany Sunday is a day where we, we try to live in the tension of hoping that it's true and believing that it's true, right? There's, sometimes it's, we, we try to believe by acting out our beliefs. And, and grounding ourselves in that because we're in that tension of doubt and faith. And so I hope you guys can stick around for that. We should get started right around 1230. So as soon as this service is over, uh, we're excited about that. Uh, next week, we will begin our, our long run through the book of Matthew. And we're doing something we've never really done before. We're doing a bit of an overview. What is the book of Matthew? Who was Matthew? Some major themes going through it because we want to have a sermon that we can keep coming back to, uh, referencing, reminding ourselves of what are some of these major themes that we're talking about. And and we want you guys to have a little more info on who Matthew is and what's going on behind his book. So we'll be setting the stage for the next several years of sermons and some of the why and what to expect. Why would we do a sermon series that long? What to expect? What will it be like? Last week... Uh, Lachlan answered for us God's will for our lives. And maybe some of you that was a little bit encouraging and a little bit frustrating. Uh, encouraging in the sense that God does have a plan, right? He, there is something he desires for you. He does have plans for you. He's written on every day of your life before there was even one of them. But somewhat frustrating because I think when we, when most of us consider what is God's plan for my life, we want him to say, you will live at this address in this state, doing this job, married to this person, and this, you know, like handing you the day planner of all of the things. And, and what Lachlan Lachlan described for us was more the kinds of people that God wants us to be. So in essence, God is is much more interested in who we are than he is in what we do, because all that we do is a result. It flows from who we are. Jesus says this, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your your life is dictated by the kind of person you are, right? Who you are in in the your innermost being, that is what shows up in how you live. And, and so Lachlan summarized it for us in three words, character. So that's, you know, classic Christian virtues, the quality of person that you are. Second, creativity. He's given you gifts to bring order into chaos, to look into our future home and say, what can I do today with who I am and how I'm wired to make our present day look more like our, our future home? And then finally, communion. God's made us to be 
friends with each other. He's made us for fellowship and community. So what is God's plan for our life? What's his will? What does he want from you? To be a person of high character who's creatively using his gifts to bring order to chaos in deep relationship with God and one another. So again, we are a church that believes God is interested in who we are even more than what we do. And so everything that God is about, all of his invitations are about reforming our humanity. So we can't make the mistake of thinking, y'all remember the old saying, we have an on-time God? Maybe you don't know that. God is never late. You know God's never stressed out. God never loses sleep. So my point in saying that is God isn't sitting up in heaven with this long checklist freaking out because of you watched too much Netflix yesterday, right? Like if you didn't do this, then oh my gosh, the kingdom could be built. He's not worried. He's not anxious. He's, he's interested in reshaping you as a human, whether it's personal practices of your own spirituality or sharing the gospel or being in a discipleship relationship. It's all about reclaiming our humanity and transforming us. So maybe to put it even more simply, what is God's will for your life? It's to know you and be known by you. Know you and be known by you. He's interested in the journey far more than the destination, which is why some of you left last week frustrated. Or when you you wrestle with this question, what's God's will for my life? And you, you butt up against a God who's more interested in going on a walk with you than he is in you getting all this stuff done for him. See what I mean? There... It's a process and a journey of becoming that God is inviting us on way more so. I mean, what kind of strange God would we have that he makes the whole universe with the power of his word and then he sits up there and is like, oh my gosh, I really need someone to become an accountant, right? Or like, he's not freaking out about all of the tasks. The the jobs we do, the places we go are far more about him reclaiming our humanity and being in fellowship with God. God is a God of delight and of relationship, which means he goes on walks more than he gives you to-do lists. So he gives us a plan for our lives, character, creativity, communion, as well as a rhythm for living those kinds of lives. So Lachlan asked me if I would preach on how do we live in this for the long haul? How do we get out of the grind of trying to be Christians, trying to maintain maybe that summer camp enthusiasm and excitement and and back into the gladness of life in the gospel? Or, you know, maybe just to put it real simply, how, how will we end up How can we make it to 70, 75, 80 and not be angry, bitter, cold, hard? How do we maintain a life of tenderness, of of tenderheartedness, of deep affection for God and one another? And there's, we'll be in a classic passage, this Romans 12 passage. It's kind of a, a, a classic picture of what does life in the church look like. There's a lot that could be said, and I'm going to focus in on, on three words that I see here. Um, and that's love, effort, and empathy. What do we need to, be, to have healthy, thriving souls that will finish the work? Love, effort, and empathy. So first, to have a life of love. Uh, boy, that's a tough word. That's a, that's a tough word in our culture right now because I love Oreos. I love my car. I love, whatever, I love my shoes. And you love your wife? What does that, what does that even mean? And even the idea of falling in love, is, you know, just that phraseology is hilarious to me. I was walking down the street, and then I looked to my left, and I fell into a pile of love. You know, like, it, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even see it coming. It's just something that happens to me. So with the idea of love, there certainly is an emotional component to it, right? Like an emotional something, you know, the burning in your bosom kind of a deal. Like, there's something that's drawn me to this other person. Uh, but, but biblical love, 
It doesn't exclude that notion, but it's far more, it's far more an action and a commitment. Biblical love is, is a commitment to the highest good of another person. It's, it's a commitment, um, it's a desiring for them to be who God made them to be as much as you want it for yourself. And it's organizing your life to that end. I'm going to work to help you be who God made you to be. I want the best things for you. And I, I'm saying the best in terms of God's best for you. And so Paul, he puts it this way. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. So first, he's starting with this idea of hypocrisy. He's saying, don't act a certain way to try to make people think you love them. And this happens in all kinds of ways. So maybe... Here's, I'm going to, some of y'all are about to get busted today. So listen, you're talking to somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, if Susan doesn't learn to keep her mouth shut in community group, I'm going to a different church. She is driving me crazy. And then Susan walks by and they're like, hey, so great to see you. You know, that we act certain ways and we do certain things to make people think that we love them. How good are we? How how skillful have we become at looking and sounding Christian? It's especially in an area like this that you know, is so rich, so gospel-saturated that it's become an, a part of our culture where a good Hoosier won't necessarily look that different than a good church member, even though their hearts could be in wildly different places. Think about, think about Judas betraying Jesus. With what? A kiss. It could... Maybe Judas was thinking, hey, I'll give him a kiss, because surely he won't think that I'm doing, he'll think I, I really love him. And you can hear the heartbreak in Jesus when he's like, a kiss, Judas? The invitation is for us to, to not fake love to look good to other people. And here's a pro tip. If you have a friend that talks bad about somebody else to you, when they're with them, do you know who they're talking bad about? This is why Paul follows this up by saying, hate what's wrong and hold tightly to what's good. There's an invitation to discernment here. If we're going to be committed to the highest good of one another, we have to learn how to see through some of the masks that we put up. We're, we're so passionately devoted to the good in somebody else that we loathe anything that takes them away from their walking with God and in God's mission for them. It won't always be obvious and there's all kinds of things that we do and say and act in here that can look good and Christian, even though they're coming from this heart of hypocrisy or just to try to fake it, to fit in somewhere. So Paul will go on and he presses this further saying, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So this is, he's, he's inviting us to get our bodies involved here, get your whole life involved. So look at Love each other with genuine affection. You know, you can't really just love somebody mentally. You, you know what I mean by that? Like just in your head. If, if you're really going to love somebody, that's got to show up at some point. If you look at somebody and, I don't know, maybe you know someone this way, they're like, I love you so much, I think about you all the time and I just want to hug you. But it all stays in their head. It's weird. There's a, there's a disconnect there. At some point, the actions have to back up the words. This needs to be embodied. So he's saying you've you got to be actually affectionate with someone. Think about it this way. You've got to treat each other like you like them. 
And you have to show them with your actions that you like them. Take delight in honoring one another. This is why it's such a problem being around the person that's always dogging other people. Like the, the church is a place where we build one another up with our words. There are few things as powerful in life as words. And are we using our words to speak well of one another? Do people feel honored and blessed and built up? Do they believe after talking to you that they could be who God has made them to be? Are, are your words instilling people with confidence and hope and life? And maybe, maybe your verbal words are, but are your internet words? Those are still words. We are a people who go out of our way to honor one another. And we use our words to help people believe they could be what God says they could be. If you want to make it the long haul and have a thriving soul, we have to become a, a people of love. There, there was a study that came out recently, and I'll, I'll spare you the details. It, it was like a 70, 80-year-long study that had hundreds and hundreds of people from disparate parts of Boston. And these psychologists were following them to try to figure out, is there a correlation between fact, your happiness and your lifespan? So what are the common denominators for what make people happy and determine how long they live? And what they found, so regardless of your habits, regardless of your tax bracket, regardless of anything, there was one common denominator that always contributed to people being happy and living for a long time, and it was the quality of their relationships. So if someone said, I've got good friends, I feel loved, I have a healthy relationship, they lived longer and were healthier. So for us, are, are we committed to the highest good of our brothers and sisters? Are we growing in our discernment, our ability to see through the masks that people put up? Are our words seasoned with love and with honor? Are our words building up our brothers and sisters, instilling them with confidence and hope? Now, what complicates this, especially in this, you know, we're in the new year, deal and what's God's will and how are we going to do better is we can be like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and all this new stuff that we're going to try. This is complicated by the fact that this kind of love is not natural to us. Um, apart from Christ, this is not how we're wired and this is not how we love. And so if we start trying to do these things, especially if you've let your mouth run away for years and years and years, you start trying to rein that in and it'll feel like you're trying to break a horse or something like that. Uh, this will require work and determination. Be becoming a person of love will require effort. Uh, and so we can't, we can't make the mistake of thinking when Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy, that he also means my yoke is lazy. Do you understand the difference? It can be hard work, but not be burdensome work. Maybe you've, you've experienced this, I hope, at some point, where you worked your tail off and went to bed tired with your heart full. The, the easy yoke of Jesus is not a lazy yoke. Christianity is a sweaty religion. <laughs> Metaphorically and literally. You look at the stuff Christians have done over the years. So if, if your vision of Christianity is, you know, sitting in a leatherback chair with mahogany walls and just contemplating your whole life, you're missing out on huge portions of it. Paul shoots you straight. He says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Don't be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Um, so 
the, the idea here is, I would call it a zeal rooted in reality. So this word enthusiasm, there's all kinds of interesting stuff said about it. What this isn't saying is every Sunday we're going to pull up the hype band. Like we're going to have Justin and, you know, the crew get everybody fired up and I'm just going to like preach these intense emotional sermons and we're going to have smoke machines and we're all going to go and do something amazing for two hours and then we're, you know, be exhausted a week later or something like that. Like this is, this is saying, uh, Informed by God's word, rooted in our community, we get to work. It's, it's, it's a posture of life. It's not sweat for sweat's sake. It's not getting wound up for the sake of like, well, we're all pumped up, so God loves us more. Um, what, what Paul is trying to say is we work hard and serve the Lord because true love labors. If, like if your love for the people in your life never causes you to work or be tired, you, I don't know how well you love them. Or how you, you, maybe you have a lot of love for them, but like if your love never makes you sweat, never, never makes you tired, I would be curious how loved the other person in your life feels. True love labors because of the source of our love, which is God. And it's moved to the objects of his love, one another. Put it another way, we serve each other because we love God and God loves them. And so what, what comes from here is what this looks like for us individually and then also for us as a family, because there's, there's both a personal and a corporate component to it. What does this hard work look like? Personally, he'll tell us, rejoice in our confident hope. Now, I want to be real clear here, because like, our church is big enough now that somebody had one of the worst weeks of their life last week. I went to two funerals last week. Somebody had an awful week last week, and that's true every week when you get to be a church of this size. Notice, please, that it doesn't say rejoice in your wonderful circumstances, right? Rejoice in how great your week was. Paul is saying, rooted in love, we are a people who never give in to despair, not because of our circumstances, but because of our confident hope. And what is the hope? It's that we're loved by God kept by God, and will be raised by God. And this is, it's easy for us to soak in this on a Sunday like Epiphany Sunday. It's the promise that he's appeared and he will appear again. And this isn't whitewashed Christianity where it's like, Jesus died, so we're just going to smile and everything's going to be great all the time, right? We got to spin everything with some, I don't know, Christian phraseology to make it seem like we have all this faith. Like you'll see Paul pouring his heart out with lament in other places, or talk about his loneliness, or how hard life is. This, this is in no way saying everything is fine, so let's pretend like it is. Um, here's what I think it, it looks like. Uh, so about a week ago, a member at Sojourn East passed away from a long battle with cancer, several years long. And um, he's got kids that are grown, but they're mid-20s, you know, like he's in his mid-50s. Like, and no one sits out and says, like, you know what, I hope that my time is done at 55 or something like that. Like, so it's sad and it's hard and it's been years and years of battling. And one of my friends, one of the pastors at Sojourn East, went to visit him and they knew this was in all likelihood the last time they would see one another. And so it's, it's, it's a heavy meeting. And they, my friend's sitting with him at hospice and they're reading scriptures together. There's tears, there's praying. And towards the end of the conversation, this man leaned in and he says, I get to see Jesus in just a couple days. Can you believe it? And there was like excitement, all of these years of waiting and wondering, and in a few days, I'm going to see Jesus. 
That's confident hope. It's not whitewashing our tears. It's not acting like everything is fine. It's, you know, feeling the full weight of whatever it is we're feeling, but then we feel that in light of the promises of God. We'll see Jesus soon. So, what does this look like even more practically? He says, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Rejoice in your confident hope. Always keep your heart pointed towards what God is doing and be patient in trouble and keep on praying. This blue-collar work, right? Be patient in troubles. If your life is filled with pain, if your story is filled with pain, it means your story isn't over yet. We work hard to rejoice in the midst of our troubles and we keep on praying. What do you do when life is hard and confusing? Fight to rejoice in your hope. Keep on praying and be patient. That's what each one of us are called to do. And now watch how this fits in with what we do together corporately. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. It's, it's like so beautifully simple. Look around to see how you can help people and be eager to help one another. I think a simple summary here is work hard to make each other feel at home. So just, if, so just with the members, at least, those who have said, this is where I am and I'm here, what would happen if we said, our, whenever I'm with another member of this church, I'm going to fight to make them feel at home. I'm going to work hard to make them feel at home. And if you're not a member, like, you should do that too and watch what happens in your life and in your circles. On, on the one hand, this means that we need to be looking out for the needs of other people. And this is hugely important in southern Indiana, where, like, culturally, you could walk by someone whose house is on fire, and it's like, hey, man, is your house okay? Like, everything's fine. I'm fine. I don't need anything. You know, this is like our, our don't rock the boat culture. I think your house is on fire. No, it's fine. I'm fine. I don't need anything, right? Like, there's times where we have to really work hard to let people know that we see how much they need. And on the other side of that, we also have to be people who share our needs with each other. It's, it's not beneath anyone to ask for help. It's not weak to ask for help. And in fact, I would say it's foolish to think you don't need help. So we look for needs, we share our needs, and we're always ready to welcome someone home. If you think about times in your life where you felt cared for, where, where you felt served, where you felt loved, I think you'll find a few factors. Maybe not all of these, but I think a couple of these. First, I bet another human being was involved, right? So I believe that we have a supernatural God. I believe that he works in mysterious ways and does whatever he wants when he wants. And I've been a I haven't thought about this in a while. I've been a Christian for 21 years at this point, and I would say 98% of the time, the way God shows up and fulfills his promises to me has been through other human beings. The Holy Spirit builds his church. What's his favorite way of doing that? Through men and women. God loves taking care of his children. What's his favorite way of doing that? Through men and women. So when you're tight on money, you'll see a check show up in the mail, or someone will walk up to you and slip you a 50 rather than like, you pray and open your eyes and there's a pot of gold that appears in your living room. You know what I'm saying? Like, usually a human being is involved. I bet there's been some kind of space involved, the space that was prepared for you. Maybe it was a counselor's office. Maybe it was a waiting room that was warmer than it needed to be. Maybe it was a friend's living room. I, I bet there was food involved in some of those. Anybody ever cried over a meal train before? Why? Is it just because it's convenient? You know, like, just one less thing to do amidst... People show up to your house with food that they've prepared for you and a salad and a dessert and they brought you your favorite drink. And there's something about eating that is profoundly human. 
And when we eat something that's been prepared by us, we, we feel loved and known and cared for. Don't underestimate the power of a cup of coffee. Don't underestimate the power of a, of a home-cooked meal. If, if we want to make it the long haul, we have to be a people who know how to love, and most practically, this will often mean serving one another and making each other feel at home. And what I want us to know is this will, this will require intentional work. If, when Christianity is hard, this is, again... You need some discernment. Just because you're tired doesn't mean something is wrong with Christianity. If your soul is fried, then so if, if the way you're being a Christian makes Jesus a liar, that's a good indication that something has gone sideways in there. But far too many of us think that if it's difficult, it can't be from God. Or if life is painful, then something has gone sideways. And I just want you to know that is not the case. That is not the case. But if this is all it is, then then we'll leave today with a new checklist and a renewed commitment to work harder, and we'll just get worn out eventually. Some of you are, are really gifted, and, and you're, you know, running on 220, while the rest of us are running on 110, so, like, you'll be able to do this kind of stuff for two, three, four, five years. You're going to run hard, and you're going to lead all the small groups, and you're going to serve in kids, and you're going you're gonna to do all the things. And, and your fatigue and burnout will just be delayed by five or six years. Some of you won't make it to Epiphany Feast, right? Like, I'm going to season my words with honor and be uplifting, and then you're going to say something snappy to somebody in the lobby. Some of us have more ability to, to exhaust ourselves than others. But regardless, if, if, it's all, if it's only a checklist of here's the new things that we have to do, the destination will be the same for all of us. We will be those bitter, lonely, hardened people, no, no matter how long our life may last. There's a deeper posture of heart, a deeper reality that we have to experience. And it's, it's one of the most foreign but important words, I think, in, in all of the human experience. And it's the word empathy. A love of life requires work, yes, but more fundamentally, it requires empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of one another. It is one of the most crucial human capacities. And you can go read about personality disorders, and so many of them at the root have, a, uh, have an issue with being able to be genuinely empathetic with someone else. The ability to feel what someone else is feeling. And this is so wonderful, you guys. This, I'm about to give you guys the biblical definition of empathy. And if this is the only thing you hear today and say, I'm going to make this a reality, it, it will change our community. So here's the biblical definition of empathy. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. It's It's amazing. We enter into the emotional realities of other people, and we stay there with them. Here's what I do. To those who weep, I want to come in and tell jokes. Because wouldn't it be better if we were laughing instead of crying? Wouldn't it be better if we were eating ice cream than having this argument? So I want, I want to come, and there's Proverbs about that for those of you who read your Bibles, but the one who goes and sings a song to the person in mourning. With those who are weeping, I want to cheer them up. That's foolish. It's a lack of empathy. It damages people. We enter into the emotional realities of the people we are with, and we try to stay there with them. Instead of making jokes to cheer up the crying person, we learn to cry with them. Instead of sharing all of our junk because we're upset that someone else had a good day, you know that person? If anybody is having a good day in community group and they say the other person comes in and talks about how awful their life is and just sucks all the energy right back out of the room. They just can't handle letting somebody else have a good time or be in a good spot. 
Instead of that, even when we've had a bad day, we learn to rejoice with them too. We have to be a people who learn to feel what one another is feeling and enter into that with them. Because, yes, can this go unhealthy? Absolutely, it can. But you cannot develop trust without empathy. And without trust, you can't have a relationship. The whole, the whole thing will fall apart if we can't have trust. And if, if we don't have empathy, we can't have trust. This entire section of Romans 12 is rooted in one simple reality for Paul back in verse 1. He says all of this. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. And what follows in Romans 12 is what he says this looks like. Because of all that God has done for you, this is what we should do. This is how we live in response to this. So take a step back for a second. In Christ, we see God is committed to our highest good. He, he wants what's good for us more than we even want what's good for us. In Christ, he didn't just pretend to love us. He showed us genuine affection, genuine deep commitment. And not just in the cross, but we certainly see that. Like, Have you forgotten how difficult his life was? Like, Practically, he worked a sweaty, difficult job. Emotionally, he was often lonely. He was betrayed. He had unfair accusations thrown at him. He died a death he didn't deserve. It, it was hard spiritually. He felt confused and abandoned. Have you ever soaked in the last words of Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, and what does he cry out? Why have you left me? Like those were the dying thoughts of our Savior. Do not forget how hard all of his life was. It doesn't mean it was hard every minute of every day, but he had an incredibly difficult life. And in there, we see God's commitment to our highest good. And at the resurrection of Jesus, we are given a confident hope. Christ has come, and we cling to the hope that he's coming again. The whole Advent season, Epiphany Sunday is the end of the Christmas season. This whole season is about remembering that God has come to us. He's felt what we felt. He's entered into our suffering and confusion, and he's taken it upon himself. He's conquered it in Christ. And now in our suffering, in our confusion, we rejoice in our confident hope. Epiphany is celebrating the reality that Christ has come and he's come again. So the invitation for us is to celebrate today. And, and maybe not because you're happy, but maybe because you really want to be. Maybe celebrate as a plea for God to help you in your unbelief. Live out, act out what you want to be true. It's a time to celebrate, maybe not because we feel joy, but because we know that it is ours by right. We own this. God has promised it to us. And so we will act it out. We will live as though it's true. A, a life of love, a life of effort begins by rooting ourselves in the love of Christ for us. So my encouragement for us is to fight to celebrate. Maybe the best you can do is, in like in our last couple of songs, sing louder than you normally would. Fight, try to get your body involved somehow. And I don't know what that means, but you know what it means when, when something happens and you feel like you want to respond, and then all of the social safeguards check, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look like an idiot. What if my shirt comes untucked? I, I don't know what you think. Whatever that thought that comes up and give yourself over to that and, and see what happens. Maybe, like especially if you're one of the people who's had a good week, the people around you need you to sing because some of them can't sing for themselves today. They need their brothers and sisters hearing them singing these words.
as we celebrate with Epiphany Feast. You know, eat this food, take it as evidence of God's provision. Thank Him for the wonder of taste buds. You ever just thought about that? Think about all of the hands that were required to make this meal and the wonder of all of these. Spend 15 minutes contemplating the origins of cake. Think about that. At one point, someone was like, hey, let's take this thing and let's grind it up into a powder. And then let's put a chicken baby in it. And then, go with me, let's put some water in it, stir it up real fast, and then he put, put it over fire. I just, I don't know, let's, yeah, sugar. Let's take this other thing from a plant and grind that up. Throw it in there too, Phil, you know, like. And, and cake feels so normal to us, but it's an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And you, God didn't have to make you capable of tasting any of it. I like that kid. Kid up front just said, I think what, what I heard, what I, how I would tell the story, he said, Mommy, I like cake. Is that close? Okay. Some of you remember how hard it is to go to church alone. Somebody is here alone, and they're going to have the courage to show up to this thing alone. Make sure they don't leave alone, right? Make sure they don't sit alone. Find a stranger. Make them feel at home. In Christ, we have one who is committed to our highest good, who has blessed us so, so richly in, in ways that are hard for us to see at times. We have one who is zealous for our souls, who feels what we feel, and in him we can do this for one another. And so we, we root ourselves in this reality week after week in hopes that in seeing him as he is, we will be made like him. And out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths will speak. Out of the overflow of our hearts, our lives will live and enter the world with the light of Christ. So we come to remember that on the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. This is how we know God loves us and is for us. The body of Christ was broken for us and the blood of Christ was shed for us. Our tradition at Sojourn is uh, to come forward. There'll be stations in the back as well. We rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you can come. Remember your confident hope. Let's pray.